You are listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby of Torch in Houston, Texas. This is the Parsha Review Podcast. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the weekly Parsha Review. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Emor. It's the eighth portion in the book of Leviticus, in the book of Ayikra, and the 31st Parsha since the beginning of the Torah. There are 124 verses, 1,614 words, 6,106 letters. There are 63 mitzvahs in this week's Parsha, 24 performative, and 39 prohibitions. So, the mitzvahs of the Kohen are listed. The Kohanim must maintain a high standard of ritual purity and always remain tahor, always remain pure. They may not contaminate themselves by coming in contact with a corpse. They may not attend the funeral of anyone other than the seven closest relatives, their father, their mother, their wife, their son, their daughter, their brother, and unmarried sister. The high priest, the Kohen Gadol, may not attend the funeral of even his closest relatives. The regular Kohen may not marry a divorced woman, and the Kohen Gadol may not marry any woman who was previously married. Certain physical irregularities or blemishes, it would invalidate the Kohen for service in the temple. And like if they had a limp, a unibrow, uneven limbs, if they had a right hand that was longer than the left hand or a right leg that was longer than the left leg or vice versa, it would invalidate them from the service in the temple. And the teruma, the priestly gifts, may only be eaten by the Kohen and his household. So when people would give the gifts from their crops to the Kohen, it would only be allowed to be eaten by the Kohen and his household. The Jewish people are required to honor the Kohanim. An animal may not either be brought as a sacrifice if it has physical defects or before it is eight days old. An animal and its offspring may not be slaughtered on the same day. And we are commanded to sanctify the name of Hashem with exemplary behavior and by being prepared to surrender our lives rather than commit the three cardinal sins, murder, licentious relations, or idol worship. The Jewish calendar, the Jewish holidays are repeated as a reminder not to do and a constant reminder we see with each one of these holidays that are mentioned in this week's portion. There's a a reminder again, do not do creative labors on these days. Do not, you're not allowed to do any creative labors on this day. Shabbos, the holiest day, the Torah commands, work six days. Not a five-day work week. It's a six days a week you shall work and rest on the seventh. Creative labor is forbidden. Pesach, on the 14th day of the first month, which is Nisan, eat matzah for seven days. And for us, it's eight days. We live in the, in the diaspora. When you live outside of Israel, you have to add another day. The Omer, the special Omer, that the days that we are currently in, last night we counted the 26th day of the Omer, so the Omer, special Omer offering is detailed. The counting of the 50 days of the Omer are commanded in this week's Parsha. Then upon the completion of the Omer count, on the sixth day of the third month, which is Sivan, we celebrate Shavuos, the day that we receive the revelation at Mount Sinai. 
Now, I know many people will say in casual talk, oh, we received the Torah on Shavuos. That's not correct. We did not receive the Torah on Shavuos. We received the revelation at Mount Sinai on Shavuos. That was the day that Hashem sort of committed, and we committed, our relationship with Hashem. It's like the day of our engagement or the day of our wedding. And what's going to happen later, we'll find out throughout our marriage. But the commitment is there. And that was the day of Shavuos. Only 40 years later did the Jewish people actually receive the five books of Moses, the actual Torah. It was taught throughout the coming 40 years by Moshe. It was taught by Hashem to Moshe, from Moshe to Aaron and to his children and to the elders and to the prophets and to the leaders of the tribes, to everyone who was passed down orally and written throughout those 40 years till the day Moshe died, he completed 13 copies of the Torah and gave each tribe a copy and one of the, well, you know, we have 12, 12 tribes. So what was the 13th one that was put into the ark that was in the Holy of Holies? Then the, the Parsha tells us about Rosh Hashanah on the first day of the seventh month, which is Tishrei, the day of judgment. We blow the shofar. Then 10 days later, on, uh, and Rosh Hashanah is a two-day holiday. It's one long day. It says Yom Arichta, that it's a two-day holiday everywhere, even in Israel. It's a mistake for those who think that only in the diaspora it's two days, but in Israel it's one day. No, 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 it's two days everywhere. And on the 10th of Tishrei, 10th day of the seventh month, the holy day of atonement, and the Torah commands us in this week's parsha to afflict ourselves, as we mentioned in last week's Torah portion, the five different afflictions. Then on the 14th day of the seventh month, sit in a sukkah and shake the four species for seven days. And again, in the diaspora, it's eight days. What's the eighth day, which is for us the ninth day? Shmini Atzeres, which is another day to celebrate with Hashem. Moshe repeats these festivals to the Jewish people as Hashem commanded. The Torah teaches us about the menorah, the ner tamid, the continual lamp that was lit with clear, pure olive oil. The lechem hapanim, the showbread that were placed on the table in the Mishkan each week, is also described in this week's parsha. And then the Parsha concludes with a story of two men who argued in the camp, and one of them cursed Hashem. Hashem tells Moshe to remove the man from the camp, and the witnesses shall stone him to death. The laws of murder and damages are detailed. One who kills another person is punished with death, and one who hurts a person or animal must pay money market value to compensate for the cost. So that concludes the summary of this week's Parsha, Parsha's Emor. Now, some important lessons for us to hopefully take from this week's Parsha. Number one, the entire concept of perfect service of Hashem. We don't want to just do things for the sake of doing them. Ah, I did it, finished, leave me alone. What's the minimum I need to do? We know that when we are buying our spouse flowers, okay, men, listen up. You don't just say to the florist, just give me any flowers, I don't care. No, 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 we we want the nicest flowers. Why? Because those flowers represent our expression of love. So we don't just want any flowers. 
We want the, the most, the freshest. We want the most beautiful. Why? Because it's representing my expression of love. And I want that to be done in the finest way. The same is true with our service in the temple. We don't just bring an animal. We bring the nicest animal as an offering. No blemishes because a blemish will also represent a blemish in your relationship with Hashem perhaps. We don't want that. So therefore, any animal with a blemish isn't allowed to be brought on the temple because that would show a flaw in our relationship with Hashem. But also a Kohen who has a blemish. Now you can say, well, it's not their fault. That's the way they were born. Well, then Hashem gives every person exactly what they need to fulfill their purpose. And we need to understand, we're not equal. There's no such thing as equality in this world. Because if there was something called equality, all of us would look exactly the same. And all of us would have the same IQ. And all of us would have the same parents. And all of us would be exactly the same. But we're not equal. We're different. And we see this also, by the way, with the Kohen. There are certain privileges that the Kohen had that the Levi didn't have, that the Israel didn't have. And there are certain privileges that the Levi had that the Kohen didn't have and that the Israel didn't have. And there are certain privileges that the Israel had that the Kohen and the Levi didn't have. Because everyone's different and everyone is unique. And there is no such thing as equality. Everyone is unique. Equality means I'm pulling everyone down to the same level. No. Everyone has the ability to rise and to shine and to be the greatest version of themselves. And there is no such thing as being equal to someone else. You have certain gifts that are only yours and no one can take them away from you. And what the Torah is trying to teach us here with the Kohen and with the Levi and with the Israel, you know what? Who gets the first Aliyah in synagogue? The Kohen. Why? That's not fear. I want to be a Kohen. I identify as a Kohen. Well, guess what? If your father isn't a Kohen, you're not a Kohen. And if your father wasn't a Levi, you're not a Levi. This is the reality of the world. And in this generation, it's confusing for people because no, 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 no. Equality means we're all the same. We're not all the same. Everyone is gifted in their own unique way. And we need to identify for our children and help them to identify what is their uniqueness, what is their specialty, what is something that they have that no one else has, and bring that to light. They don't have to be the same as someone else. We want them to have their own uniqueness. Equality means I don't need to excel. Equality means, look, a guy like Elon Musk, I like picking him as a great example of someone who excels. You know, for most people, running one big company would be enough. He has like seven or ten massive companies that have thousands and thousands of employees. And he could very well say, you know what? I'm doing just like someone else does. You know, someone else owns a software company. I own a software technology company. And that's enough. No, 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 no. He knows, hopefully, that he has certain gifts that Hashem has gifted him with. And for him to just be equal with someone else would be a sellout because he was given special talents, unique talents, not to be equal with someone else. And I think we have to cherish this idea 
uniqueness is our identity. We each are unique. Don't try to copy or mimic someone else. You know what? Even in your own spirituality, in each one of our own spirituality, we should identify, we should identify our own uniqueness and not try to copy someone else. Oh, they pray like this. I'll pray like that. They go to the synagogue. I'll go to that synagogue. They do this. I'll do that. Have your own identity, your own relationship. Make it unique. Make it special. Because it represents your relationship with God. And each one of us have our own relationship with God. It's something that inspired me in my preparation for hopefully soon we're going to start a new series on prayer. So I already started a lot of the preparation, but right when I started with the first prayer, it's Mode Ani Lefanecha. Grateful am I before you, Hashem. Why does it need to say Ani? It could say I'm thankful before you. I mean, thankful before you, right? Why does it say I am? It's an, it, there's a special ani. We can say we are grateful. Instead, it's not an I am grateful. Commentaries say, you know why? Because every single morning, aside for being grateful, aside for being thankful, we should reaffirm our own personal identity. I am something unique. I am something special. Not to go through the day thinking, hey, I want to be like that person. I want to be like that person. No, 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 no. You're starting the day right at the beginning. You're giving thanks to God. Remember also that God made you special. He made you unique. Ani, I'm not like anybody else. Additionally, we know that the role of the Kohen Gadol, the Kohen Gadol is very, very special, a very special character in Judaism. Why was he so special? What was unique about the Kohen Gadol? Our sages tell us something. The Kohen Gadol had to be the symbol of perfection. The Kohen Gadol had to be an even-tempered person. He had to be happy he couldn't be, do you know that a Kohen, any Kohen, but particularly a Kohen Gadol, cannot do service in the temple if they were in a quarrel, in a dispute with someone else? Because what is dispute? What is discord? It's a lack of happiness. I'm upset at somebody. I can't walk into the room when they're there. My ex, my this, my that, people have these barriers. A Kohen cannot have barriers. If he has barriers, he can't serve in the temple. He had to be married at all times, which is why he had two wives. So if a wife died, he wouldn't be in a state of being unmarried. A Kohen Gadol was the representative of the Jewish people of what a perfect Jew should look like. Royal, regal, happy, with a smile, had to always be in a state of happiness, in a state of calmness. Now we can make that, we can show a parallel, but I don't think it's necessary. I mentioned this previously. I'm going to say it anyway. I saw a video of the Pope. The Pope was greeting people who came to the, uh, to the Vatican. People came to visit the Vatican and they want to see the Pope, the holiest in their religion. So 
someone was, and you can watch, you can search this video on YouTube. It's the most atrocious thing. Where someone was so excited to see the Pope, they grab the Pope's hand to like get a blessing, like something, and he slaps them. Get off of me. And to me, that's like the exact opposite of what Judaism teaches us. I spent a week in Israel with a friend of mine a few months ago. And we went from rabbi to rabbi to rabbi, from one scholar to another scholar. The love, the delicate, genuine concern that they have for every Jew, the graciousness, the kindness, the patience. That's what greatness is. The real, and you can see people out the door, people waiting around the block trying to get a blessing from the rabbi. The rabbi, and I'm saying it as a single rabbi because every single one had the same attitude. The same loving, genuine care and concern for their fellow person. They're taking their time. He has places to go, people to meet, things to do. No. If Jew needs a blessing, a Jew wants a blessing, that's my only concern right now. The love, the patience. It was like, and many of them, it was my first time meeting them. The smile, the, the radiance, it was just unbelievable. That's a huge contrast. A huge contrast of what real greatness is. The Kohen represented the holiest person on earth. Maybe not the biggest scholar, but they had to be in a state of holiness. They had to be in a state of holiness. Something that represented what it was to be a servant of God. Now, the gift of truma to the Kohen, our sages tell us, Today, what do we do? Today, we don't have a Kohen. Today, we don't have a service in the temple. So what do we do? Who do we give our Teruma to? So our sages tell us, these are our sages, our scholars, that we need to, in Judaism, we respect wisdom. The first thing we learn in the 48 ways is to learn, to learn, to learn, to learn. Always be learning. One of the keys to learning is to have a teacher to have someone you look up to and that you take wisdom from them and to respect them and to cherish our wise people because wisdom is the most important value in Judaism. If we don't know, we can't do anything. Wisdom is power. Knowledge is power. We have to encourage our children to learn. Learn new things. Not to sit in front of devices. They're not going to learn anything from those games. I think it's tragic when I walk in stores and I see parents with children in the cart and the children have these tablets or phones that they're busy with. They don't even know what's going on around them. They're completely consumed by these devices. I think it's a terrible thing. Look around. Learn from people's facial expressions. Learn about things in the world. Learn about value. Learn about currency. Learn about people don't, children aren't learning without having these basic things. In their lives, learn, ask questions, 
What do we say here in the cl- in class? Every question is a great question. Every question is a great question because it means that someone is seeking knowledge. Honoring our sages means honoring our leaders. That means when we're in synagogue and the rabbi walks in, everyone's supposed to stand up. Why? They're a person of leadership. Leadership, by the way, has its own value. The fact that someone accepts upon themselves a leadership position, it says that someone who becomes a mayor or a governor, on that day, they're forgiven of all their sins. Additionally, who else do we see has that? The day a bride and groom get married, the day of their chuppah, they're forgiven of all their sins. Why? Because you're undertaking a position of leadership. You're undertaking a position to take care of someone else. When you become selfless and you care for someone else, that's leadership. That's leadership. And that's what the Torah encourages us. Take on leadership. Be a leader. Help someone else. Guide someone else. And as recipients of that, we respect and honor someone who takes leadership. That's why there's a commandment in the Torah to honor and respect those who are leaders. Now, a person, we ask this many times, we say this many times from Rabbi Noah Weinberg of Blessed Memory, from Esha Torah, he would say, if you don't know what you're ready to die for, you haven't begun living. What are you ready to die for? Are you ready to die for your family? So why don't we live for our family? Are we ready to die for our career, for our job, for our money? So why do we live for it? But the Torah here in this week's Parsha gives us three things that it's worthwhile dying for. Three different ways in which we express our commitment to Hashem. Number one, we're not willing to murder. If someone comes over to you, puts a gun to your head and says, kill so-and-so or I will kill you, say, Hashem commands me not to kill anyone else. And therefore, Take my life. I don't care. I'm willing to do it for the sake of Hashem. We'll understand this in a second. What's the other two? Perform adultery. Be with this woman a person's not allowed to be with. Or I kill you. Not allowed to do it. I have to say, I'm ready to give up my life for that. And the last is idolatry. So bow down to this idol or I take your life. Take my life. And by the way, in our very, very rich heritage, in our very rich history, there are millions and millions of Jews who were murdered because they weren't ready to accept other religions. They weren't ready to accept idolatry. And if you go in the streets of Rome, every step you take is on Jewish blood, where they were murdered because they weren't willing to convert to Christianity. Millions of Jews. You think the Holocaust was bad? Millions of Jews to dedicate their lives to the name of Hashem. That means I'm not ready to forgo my own personal wishes, my own personal desires for Hashem. Hashem comes first. That level of commitment, our sages say, is the highest level a soul can ever reach. 
to die, al Kiddush Hashem, to die for the sake of Hashem. Only for that reason. Wow. That someone, by the way, the six million who died in the Holocaust, every single one of them were the righteous of most righteous people ever. Why were they murdered? If they just would have been a regular Pole, they wouldn't have been murdered, perhaps. A regular uh, Gentile from Hungary. No, they weren't killed. You're a Jew. Ah, because you're a Jew. Those are the holiest of the holy. So we need to understand that we, we need to be willing to dedicate our lives to the will of Hashem. That is also part of that this demonstration of this mitzvah, that I'm not willing to forsake Hashem for my own personal wish. I want to do something. Well, it doesn't fit with Hashem. It's his problem. No, am I willing to forego my own will for the will of Hashem? And that's what these three cardinal sins are demonstrating for us, that we need to be willing to stand up for Hashem. The holidays, what's the purpose of the holidays, my dear friends? What is the purpose of the holidays? A holiday, let's say in, in, in British English, holiday means vacation. But by us, holiday means we connect with God. This is a time that we put everything aside and we say now we're all locked in. We're in the zone where we're not going to have any distractions. For example, Sukkot. What happens in Sukkot? Sukkot is right after Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. And now we say, God, we're, we, we, you know why f- giving us forgiveness and atonement is a good thing? Because look, we're going to demonstrate it in action. We're going to leave our homes. We're going to leave our routine. And we're going to start new habits. We're going to go into a Sukkot for seven days. And we're going to shake the lulav and demonstrate that you are the leader, the creator of heaven and earth in all four directions, up and down. We're demonstrating it in action. We leave our homes. We show that we're willing to put it into action. Pesach, we don't just say, you know, it's a nice story. It's a nice story. The Jewish people left Egypt. It's a nice story. Makes me feel warm and fuzzy. No, no, no. We're going to eat that matzah. We're going to demonstrate in action how we're going to do this. Not just talk. Holidays are a time not just to sit back with family. Of course, that's part of it. Hashem wants us to do that. He wants us to have good food and to drink good wines. It's great. That's all part of it. Hashem wants us to spend time out from everything else. You know, here in the United States, people celebrate Thanksgiving. We all do. We're very thankful. We're to have an unbelievable country that allows us to have classes such as this and to learn Torah. As we mentioned previously, the only nation on, on earth that hasn't persecuted the Jews for following their religion. Unbelievable. We're very grateful. It's a great holiday. Interesting that Turkey in Hebrew is called Hodu, which means to give thanks. Thanksgiving is a day people are preparing. Their children come in from college and the whole family gets ready and we bring out the china and we're going to have this beautiful meal. What would you say if I told you that we have that every single Shabbos? Same thing. Every single Shabbos, we want our children close. My, my son was invited to go to one of the other neighborhoods 
uh, for Shabbos last week with a friend. So he was in Meyerland. He davened at the Meyerland Minion. And we didn't want him to go. We want him close. You're, you know, it's like a, we want our children with us. The idea that every single Shabbos is a Thanksgiving. Bring out the china and have your finest foods and your finest wine. Shabbos is the holiest day of the year. It's a holiday every seven days. Hashem says that's the perfect balance. Work for six days. Work your tail off. Nonstop work. On the seventh day, it's a time to take, it, take off, take a break. No creative labor. It doesn't say don't work. It says don't do creative labor. Baruch Hashem. We have many people at our Shabbos table. It's a lot of work. It's hard work. But that's not prohibited. Flicking on a light switch, that's work. Why? Because that's creative labor. The definition is very important. Creative labor is prohibited. Work is not. Writing with a pen is creative labor. Moving furniture, moving chairs and tables is work. It's not creative labor. So, let's utilize Shabbos. Now, what's the light of the menorah? It says that we need to light the menorah. Sages tell us that the menorah represents the Jewish people. And the light in the middle was always lit because that one represents Hashem. This, the three branches on each side, each one representing two of the tribes, but they also represented different types of Jews. You have Jews who are higher, Jews who are lower. No, 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 no. There's no such thing. Everyone needed to be at the same level. All of the lights of the menorah, which is why in our Hanukkah, our menorah that we light on, on Hanukkah, we know that they have to be at the same level because they represent the Jewish people. No one is higher than anyone else. You can't have a staggered menorah. That's not a kosher menorah. Why? Because that would make it seem that one person is greater than the other. No, no, no. We're all equal in the eyes of Hashem. And therefore, the menorah lights were slightly shorter than the shamash that was in the middle because that represents God. And they all faced God. And what the idea is is that each one comes from a different angle. Everyone comes from a different background. Some a little bit further, some a different near, but everyone's at the same level. Everyone needs to have their heart towards the Almighty. And that's a very important function of us as Jews to recognize that we're not better than anyone else. If you were privileged to grow up with certain customs, with certain following certain certain parts of the Torah, or hopefully all of the Torah, that's a privilege. That doesn't make you better. Someone comes from a different place and they didn't know, their journey is much more rewarding perhaps. In fact, the, the Talmud says that in a place where someone who does teshuva stands, the completely righteous can't stand. Someone who does teshuva, bal teshuva, even the most righteous can't stand in their place. Why? Here's someone who turned around their whole life. They grew up out in Mississippi with no community, with no synagogue, with no, and they changed their whole life once they learned about it. That's an unbelievable thing. That's more valuable than someone who grew up all righteous, never spoke Lashon Hara, never missed a minion. Why? Because it, it takes a lot to change. And there's no greater value than change. And then 
we talk about the blasphemer, the end of the parsha. So what's the big deal? What's such a such a sin that you take him out and stone the guy because he said something? Right? It's just words. It's not, you know, what's the big deal? So first is we have to understand is that this individual has two opinions of what exactly happened. Either it was an argument with someone else and then he he cursed Hashem, or there was a a question that he wanted to be part of the tribe of Dun, but his father was an Egyptian. And in order to be part of a certain tribe, you had your father had to be from that tribe. But because his father was an Egyptian, he wasn't qualified to be part of Dun, even though his mother was from the, the tribe of Dun. So they went to Moshe. And Moshe says, I'll ask Hashem. Hashem says, can't be part of the tribe of Dan. So he cursed that Hashem. What does that mean? What does that represent? That represents a disagreeing with God. We actually have a podcast. Are you allowed to disagree with God? Are you allowed to argue with God? Well, we see Abraham argues with God. But there's a difference between arguing, trying to plea your case, versus having complete disrespect, disrespect or disregard for the Almighty. And that's the problem with the blasphemer, is that he didn't even want to associate, so to speak, with Hashem. Ah, nonsense. And whatever he said against Hashem. We want to negotiate with Hashem. We should do that. That's what prayer is about. Talk to God. Say, Hashem, please help me with this. And, and come back the next prayer and say, you know what, Hashem? I want even better than that. I, I asked for too little. And have a negotiation with God. That's what we see Abraham does this. We see Isaac does this. We see Jacob does this. We see Joseph does. We see all of our patriarchs and matriarchs, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel. God, give me a child. No, you don't have a womb. Well, God, give me a womb. And God did that for Sarah. What did Sarah say? She says, I don't have the wherewithal to be a mother. I don't have, it's incapable. I, I, don't, I don't have a womb. Well, is there anything that God cannot do? We see with Hannah, Hannah, the mother of Samuel. She says, Hashem, you gave me breasts for what? To feed a child. And now you don't give me a child? So what did you give? You didn't create anything for no purpose. Good argument. Not bad. I'll give you a, ch- I'll give you a child. And she got Samuel, who, according to the Torah, it says that he was even greater than Moses and Aaron together. Unbelievable. We should negotiate with God. We should talk to God and open up a dialogue in our prayer with Hashem. But that doesn't mean that when Hashem says no, we curse at him. We have to understand where we stand with regards to Hashem. And then the last part is that we see that the punishments that the Torah says, the Torah prescribes, there's only certain powers that Hashem gives us to have. For example, we know that there's a Jewish court system. So what cases can the Jewish court decide on? Only cases that have witnesses. So what's if we know that something happened? We have circumstantial evidence up to wazoo, but we don't have actual Evidence. We don't have actual witnesses. You know what happens in Jewish court? 
O.J. Simpson walks scot-free. In Jewish court, O.J. Simpson won't, the case won't even be heard because they'll say, what's the claim? Okay, someone gives a claim and are you a witness? No, witness, witness, no, no, no witness. Okay, find witnesses and come back. The case wouldn't stand for a second. We have to understand that Hashem says there's only certain things that I allow you to provide judgment for on earth. There are only certain things because for us to intervene with heavenly retribution, you need to have certain qualifications for that to happen. For you to get involved and to have the ability to punish someone on behalf of heaven, certain qualifications need to be there. So it's not enough for a person to say, well, I I think this person should be punished. I'll give you an example. You know, what happens... What happens if someone cheats you in business? So you want to take them to court. You know what our sages tell us? You have two options. You can take them to court or you can say, Hashem, you're the one who gives everything to everyone anyways. If you want me to get this, I'll have this without the heartache of court, without the heartache of lawyers, without the heartache of expenses, without the heartache of fighting Our sages tell us that's the best way to do it. The best way is not to fight in court. The best way is to allow Hashem to do it. I just want to finish with one story. Many years ago, right when we moved to Houston, my wife opened up a small business, a paper goods business. It was out of the garage. And she, you know, she started with a little investment. And, you know, she slowly put all the money right back into the business and slowly it, it really grew tenfold. But it was a lot of work. Paper goods, there's a lot of schlepping, a lot of boxes, containers, things coming, shipments going, everything. She'd file her taxes regularly every quarter, and she was like very on top of her business. But it eventually became very cumbersome. She was pregnant at the time, and she wanted to just sell the business. Someone was interested, so we got a lawyer and drafted a contract, a legal contract, and it was scheduled exactly when the payments were going to start coming through, et cetera, et cetera. We signed the deal, and we were supposed to start getting the payments like a month or two later. We transferred all of the inventory, everything. We gave them the computer, the scanner, the whole thing. Everything was it's like a, a great business. Comes the day of the first payment. Nothing. Comes the second payment. Nothing. Nothing. So I inquired what was going on. It turns out this individual wasn't the most honest. They sold everything out of their garage quickly and left town. And there we were after a business that my wife worked on so hard, on building up, on getting it to a point where it was, you know, hopefully we can pay off debts and we can, you know, gone. Gone. So we had a choice. I said to my wife, I said, we can do one of two things. We can either go to court. It's a legal document. We can go put a lien on their house or whatever it is. I don't know. Or we can leave it in the hands of Hashem. And say, Hashem, you're in charge and you're going to decide. If we deserve to get it, you'll find a different way. 
And like this, we don't have to get into Lashon Hara. We don't have to get into uh, saying negative things. We don't have to go into court and start yelling and screaming and, and getting so aggravated. and Just leave it alone. And if Hashem wants it, we'll get it. So my wife was unbelievable. And she said, you know what? She's going to do the latter and she's going to leave it in the hands of Hashem. A week later, I get a phone call. Someone I know from New York says, I have a business I do in many different states. I want to, I'm want thinking of starting this business in Houston, but I don't have a residence. I need to have a residence. Would you mind? You open up the business on your name, your LLC. And whatever profits come, I'm going to share with you some of the profits. And it's a perfectly legal business. You just needed a, a residence. Okay. I said, great. It turns out, until they took over the business completely, the exact amount, the exact amount that we would have gotten from the sale of that business came quicker, easier, someplace else. Exactly the same amount. I, I did the math on it 10 times. Unbelievable. We can fight. Hashem prefers we don't fight. Hashem says, you don't fight. I'll bring more blessing to you. Hashem should bless us all. We should have an amazing Shabbos. We should take the lessons from this week's parsha and elevate our lives every single day. And we should all be blessed in everything that we do. Amen.